0: This episode is brought to you by Happy Mess. Happy Mess, the kids' art place. Yeah, they do art classes and sensory play and after-school programs and in-school classes and birthday parties and camps. And adult events. Buy tickets to our next paint night or book your own for your next occasion or staff party. Check it out at www.happymess.net. What's
1: www?
0: World Wide Web.
2: This episode is brought to you by ServiceMaster Sea to Sky. A home is more than just a house, and an office is more than just a place to work. ServiceMaster is here to offer a home and business services when you need them the most. ServiceMaster handles water, flood, fire, and reconstruction services. We take on jobs big and small. There's no project we haven't seen before. ServiceMaster, the complete customer experience. Call us at 604-938-0822 or on the web, smc2sky.com. That's smc2sky.com. Service master, C Sky, restoring peace of mind.
0: This is the Sea to Sky podcast, weaving through the issues in Sea to Sky country.
2: Everybody, welcome back to another 2022 Swamish Municipal Election Podcast with myself, Stephen Fryer, my cohort, Mr. Marcus Monopoly, and today our third mayoral candidate, Mister Armin Herford. Herford, Herford. Herford. Herford.
1: Hello, everybody. <laughs> thank Thanks for you for coming on, me. Armin. Oh, thank you for having me.
2: So we're gonna hit you with a hard one right off the top, Armin. Please do. Why who? mayor? Who? Well, who is Armin Herford, and why
0: mayor? Why? I mean, you had a good stint for your council. Why? Why the big chair? <laughs>
1: I'll, I'll start with the easier part of that is who who I am. And uh, I'm third generation Squamish. My grandfather came here on the paddle wheeler and uh, got off the boat and looked around. And the famous quote is, well, one paycheck and I'm out of here. And uh, he proceeded to meet my grandmother. And the rest is history. So I I grew up in Bracknell with... This man, you can't see me pointing, but Steve is the Friar family, actually, was all kind of around us uh, growing up. No and, biases uh,
0: now. No biases now. <laughs> try and keep it objective.
1: So uh, in Squamish and in, in Brackendale, and uh, for the last nearly 16 years now, I've been running my own uh, business, Republic Bicycles in Brackendale. And the last four years, I've been uh, a counselor at the District of Squamish, and working in the community has always been uh, or for the community's benefits always been a part of growing up i Apparently, I was volunteering when I grew up at the Logger Sports Grounds, just doing stuff. But apparently, that was volunteering, I realized at a certain point. But so What, been, free labor? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I've been a, life, a lifelong volunteer uh, at Squamish Days. And I'm a founding member of SORCA as well, which just celebrated 30 years this year. So, those early days there were um, running the phone list in the basement, calling up people, like, hey, we're going for a ride, or hey, we're doing trail maintenance, you know, you should come out. I didn't realize it at that point I thought it was getting friends together to do something that we all were interested in but that uh, turns out is what grassroots community organizing is so so I've been involved in in sort of those aspects uh, of our community for and others for uh, extremely long periods of time and I remember I played hockey baseball soccer you know I learned to, to whitewater kayak roll kayaks in our swimming pool as well as take all my swimming lessons and all that stuff so I, I think these lived experiences give me a, a, a very unique uh, perspective on on where Squamish has come from and where those challenges are. But it's the last bit, those last four years on council that really give me confidence as we move forward to tackle some of the challenges we have to understand where those levers are and where those opportunities are and to recognize them quickly and uh, and act. So the last four years have been an accelerated learning in aspects of my community that I thought that I knew quite well before I jumped into this whole thing now.
0: Okay. No, you can't just say that and then move on okay, thought of, that means there's a bit of...
1: Uh... What do you mean as far as, like, oh, like what I learned? Since, yeah, so since, like
0: you thought, well, like what did you think? The whole, uh-oh. you know, what you
1: think, the The like. role or the, yeah, well I think, and, and I'm sure some of the newer candidates this time around when they get to be able to speak about it in retrospect will say that would have a similar experience as, as I did, which was just learn more and more layers and everybody in the community moves around it slightly differently, even if you have the same interests. So even if your uh, hockey parents say that can mean different things depending on the level of your of your family's interest, where you live in the community, so your challenges of getting there to access the facility and where you go after, like all those things are just a little bit different and very few people actually fit into only one category. So someone that fits in the mountain bike category has kids in hockey and so on and just how all these things interact for each group is really is really interesting. And as you go through the um, the campaign process, you end up on things like this. And I've, I'm i here and opening myself up to whatever questions you, you may have for me. But it's the same when you go to, uh, as much as this is going to be broadcast, uh, when you go to any of these campaign events, people are going to come to you with their perspective and their concerns. And sometimes there are solutions for those concerns too, which is amazing when that happens. And there's always a new perspective. Uh, yeah, it's it's endlessly interesting and it doesn't, it doesn't stop. It's been... It wasn't just in that campaign period; it's been throughout the whole the whole term. And you know, when it gets right down to like one parcel of land, or it's it's incredible how many interests uh, there are, and striving to represent all those interests when you make a decision. And it's important to remember that as an elected official, I, I'm always cognizant that you're not only representing the people that voted for you; you you are also there to represent the people that didn't. So it's not about one particular section of the community sort of carrying the day, whoever is in those seats is there to represent the entire community regardless of their maybe bias or, or whatever they say during the, during the campaign. That's the role. And it's really interesting to understand what that entire community actually is.
0: And there's seven of you in there. So, I mean, you have to work with all seven, no matter what their backgrounds are. And that's conducive to being uncounseled is the conversations and getting the right solutions out for everyone. But you're still choosing for the mayoral seat. Now, I understand why you're in politics, but I still don't quite get why you've chosen to run for mayor.
1: I will answer that that question, but I'm going to latch on to something that you said in the question itself, which is if you look at our orders of government being municipal, provincial, federal, municipal is very interesting uh, for lots of reasons. But one of them I've been thinking about a lot is that recently anyways, is that unlike the other levels, there's not a government and opposition instead of having these two polarized points of views going back and forth at each other, we're going to sit at a table where hopefully I would expect our electorate generally elects people from across the spectrum. And then we sit at a table together and move things forward in a way that represents, as we can all figure out, all those interests and perspectives at the table. And that's what we want from a municipal government. So unlike those other orders, we have to sit and listen and work together. You talk about bipartisan solutions and so on, and that's celebrated at other orders of government. We're bringing seven people along in the journey. Uh, so when a council that has diverse points of view, which most councils do if things are working correctly, then brings a policy forward that's broadly supported by that council, it should be something that really reflects the interests, the broad interests of the of the community. And I think that's really important and a very critical distinction between the other orders of, of government. So I think it's noteworthy and it's and it's unlike anything else. And it's a little disorienting for people that haven't encountered it and expect it to work as the other orders do. So why the mayor's seat? There's a number of things. This whole getting into uh, in being involved in politics at the level, at this level, is something that I, um, I thought I'd like to do. I always had interest and I've been Around city hall I'd go and look at things that were important to me kind of my whole my whole life and, and attend public information meetings or public hearings if it's something that you know that reached that threshold whatever that was for me but I always thought it was going to be something that I came to later cuz that's generally how these things how these things work I like to think I'm relatively young I'm going to be 45 here in a few weeks so i gonna hold to the 44 well, but
0: i turned 45 last week yeah there
1: you go yeah 77 man that's a fine vintage yeah are you on that as well so yeah far?
2: no guys I'm, I'm i'm a little younger than you
1: boys here by like 10 months or something anyway so the uh you know in the last election as things were progressing through the last election i wasn't seeing my myself and my my perspective sort of represented with the early days of that of the that campaign and we did have 22 people running for council last time when the dust settled. So I ended up declaring on the last day after discussion with some friends where we came to the realization that if I ran, I'd probably get in. And then I foolishly or not assumed that that was some sort of responsibility because not too many people honestly find themselves in that position can make that that assessment and I ended up holding. <laughs> and uh, so now I've really enjoyed the, pr- the process. It is, it's forever challenging because very few things are ever really solved because after we're all gone, you know, there's still going to be a functioning government working on the problems of the day. So, but there is an aspect of, of seeing things further down the path. And a lot of the problems take time and or problems happen quickly. Sorry. And solutions take time. There's a lot of work that's been, uh, that's on, that's underway that needs to be followed, that needs to be followed through. And that's, I guess, the the reason to continue to be involved, and how it. And I would expect a similar answer from the other incumbents that we've worked really hard to create um, all sorts of things that people don't necessarily see on the surface, because policy lives somewhere else. You know, that it's not always front and center. It's the outcomes that people really, really see. So, and I'm a nerd for that stuff, so we can get into you know the bits and pieces of uh, of particulars there, but. Seeing it further down the line, I think, is is why I want to continue to be involved. Now, why the big seat is interesting, where Karen announced that she was not going to run, and which I think is a big loss to the community. She was a very strong leader and was able to recognize that that role of bringing everyone together and all those points of view at the table and finding a way forward. And I learned a lot from her. We didn't, that doesn't mean I, we agreed on on every topic or every approach, but in being able to to move things forward with such a cast of characters and, and balance all the priorities. I, I have a lo- tremendous respect for her. So I do think that was a loss and um, I'm sure we can touch on anonymous uh, attacks and so on uh, later if you if you want you
0: know what no but- no you're bringing it up so we're gonna <laughs> we're, it's it's it, we mentioned this with jenna stoner this is this is an elephant in the room like we're getting flyers in our mail of who you are we're like not who you are but like we're getting flyers of the mail of like who you're purported to be mm. right mm. so i mean it, it's top of mind because we haven't seen this in in local government elections or at least squamish has never seen it
1: yeah, in the general in the general sense, you know, we've seen uh, some outside forces that clearly have some interest in our community, spending a lot of money. I think it was just in Facebook ads where it's somewhere near a hundred thousand dollars or something like that since January. That wasn't the only period of time that they were operating. That's a lot of money and that doesn't count that doesn't account for although I don't think their graphic design uh, is particularly wonderful, but it doesn't <laughs> account for uh, you know for for the people creating the ads you know and and the mailouts which also were coming through Canada post a lot of time this year and at various times throughout the term as well. so I won't do the the math to figure out. But even the $100,000 just in Facebook spends is $100,000 in Facebook spends. It's crazy.
2: Well, Zuckerberg likes it.
1: Well, Zuckerberg likes it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So these groups, individual, I don't know, obviously have some interest in in the community. And it's having a negative impact on our democratic process right now. So I mentioned a little bit earlier that uh, we had 22 candidates for the six uh, seats on council last time. There's been more, but it was a pretty good turnout. Now we have 10 for the six seats. So the minority is not going to get in. That's crazy to me. And I think a direct result of these attack ads, who's going to step forward? Who in their right mind (laughs) would put their name forward and expose themselves to such a thing? And sometimes I hear people say that, uh, you know, a politician needs to have thick skin. And at a certain point, yes, you need to be able to accept criticism. And that's totally fine, and that's part of the job. You need to be able to defend your decisions and express your point of view. And you also need to have empathy and listen to other people's points of view so you can see where you've gone wrong and where an adjustment is needed. And the more people you speak to and the more opinions that you value, the stronger the policy, right? So if the current state stays, we are all going to end up with leaders at all orders of government. Their skin is so thick that when you go forward and you would like something for your neighborhood or something for yourself, can you please fix the XYZ problem? And you need your leaders to have a thin enough skin and wear their heart on their sleeves and have empathy and be able to take action to help you and to help the community. I know politicians, people that participate in in politics as an elected official, often get a, a bad rap. And, you know, a lot of them rightly so through their decisions and policy and all those other things. However, I think it's important for our community to stand up and protect the process because we are being limited choices right now. I've had some people say, oh, well, you know, how many real candidates were there in that in those 22, you know? They all were. I don't buy this because even someone that wasn't successful, when we're at an all candidates meeting, when you're at an event like this, you get that person, that perspective gets put forward and it becomes part of the conversation. And even if they're not successful, it can lead the conversation, it can highlight issues. It's very, very important that well, we, we have those We people.
0: don't want to shut down people who want to participate in helping their communities, right? We want people to come out and care for their communities and help plan what's going on in their communities. And, and if, if this process or what's been happening dissuades people who are more inclined to do this position. I'm not taking away anything from the candidates, but if there are smart people out there, very big policy nerds, who would actually be a very big benefit sitting in that council chambers, who are dissuaded by participating because of this, is a real loss to the community. So it is tough. And so I just want to give kudos to you as I gave kudos yeah. to everyone else to step up and keep persevering through it.
1: Well, thank you. And, and it's not just the elected officials or the people aspiring to be an elected official um, that are affected here. I recently had a conversation with a contractor that put together a bid on a district project and, oh yeah, it looked good and, oh yeah, okay, I think I can work with this. And the business decision was made to step back because of the attacks that were done on council using one of our projects, I think it was the Covered Structures projects, as a lever to attack council. And he didn't want to expose his business to this level. So that means it's affecting our competitive bid process. That's taxpayer money. Okay, so... It's not just feelings of politicians, it's functionings of democratic process and taxpayers' money. These are the impacts that that these types of actions um, are are having. It's unfortunate and you know, I have been heartened by the response of the community around this topic. And um, I've seen so many people stepping up and questioning the sources and pushing back on on what's happening and you know, so that gives me hope that uh, that people are alive to the to the issue and and are asking questions. And it's important to question the source. If you hear something from me, that's that's from me. You should question that. And, you know, I hope you find out it's true. And, you know, I've made I've made uh, Every once in a while, we say something that's, oh, I didn't quite get that right. And that's totally fine. But
0: all right. So let's get into, need into what question you didn't get sources. right. Let's get into what you didn't get, all right, right, what in didn't I get right in the last four years. Right, right in the nitty gritty of what you did not get right in the last four years. Um, I'm not going to say what you did wrong. I'm not going to ask. But like <laughs> one, of, one of the biggest things, because there's a lot of nuance of right and wrong. And again, it's a big discussion at a big table. One of the biggest issues we, we are talking about during the election is densification downtown you know, there's there's a lot of it. <laughs> or there's a feeling that there's a lot of it. And if the growth is a sustainable growth, uh, if we should be maybe slowing it down a little bit, or maybe you think we should be speeding it up, the CACs, if we're getting enough from the developers who are building all these buildings downtown, as some of your opposition would criticize, is that we're not getting enough money from developers to put into projects that you can classify as a big want, like Brennan Park.
1: Yeah, I'd happily take this one on. There's a few things there. The... The community amenity contributions, the CAC policy, is one of the main levers to sort of extract things from developers as part of the uh, development and extract community benefit from development as it occurs. So that policy has been recognized as needing an update or a look at. This sitting council has given staff the direction to review that policy. Now, that's from a feeling that things could be better and we could get more or we could divvy up what we're getting in a different way because they kind of go to different buckets. So, um, And that work is underway and we'll come back to council shortly. An interesting thing with, with the CAC policy if you push too far, which is fine. I like, I like looking at things in extremes to understand where the edges are and then it makes the middle seem better. So if we had no CAC policies, we would get no benefits for the community, uh, which is like affordable housing, you know, um, childcare goes in there as well. But it's also green space, park programming, these types of things. And if we had too onerous a CAC policy, that demanded um let's just say everything is uh i don't know where too far is but let's just say everything has to be uh affordable housing with you know all childcare spaces and 80% of every property is a green park i don't know whatever something that's way too far well 100% of 0 is 0 so, if we aren't getting development, we won't bring affordable housing into the community. So, there's a balance there where the policy needs to allow for development so that we can extract these benefits. It's very nuanced and it is a fine line to walk. I have spoken with some folks in the development community that would like to see the process of establishing what is CAC streamlined so they can move quicker and it's more and it's clear because it's a bit of a cumbersome process. So, there's some efficiencies that can be had there even though the idea came from the development community, can actually have a lot of benefit for the community itself, where it's a bit clearer as to what is expected from day one, because it is a conversation to sort of put together a a, a CAC package. So I do think that PI will be divvied up differently on this review, because the affordability and the childcare in particular have risen in prominence, even though they're accounted for in the current policy, but to a lower percentage. So uh, I'm curious to see where that work goes. And it's quite detailed work, so I'm not going to, uh, I don't want to get too far into what it could be. I already sort of stumbled in uh, trying to frame what too much is. But I, I hope you understand that where I'm going there, where if we push too far, yes, it could slow development, but we need affordable housing. We need childcare. We like parks. We also need CAC funds to pay for things such as Brennan Park and others. So does need review what the outcome of that is. Um, I'm not sure yet. It'll be interesting to, I look forward to those being at the table for those conversations.
0: When we talk about densification and people are complaining about densification, well, we need the housing. Uh, we need the affordable housing and we need the spaces. So we do need to develop. And it becomes part of, a, I'm going to do the pie analogy just for you, Stephen. If everything is interconnected like a big pie. It's just where do you stick your finger in the pie first, right? Do, is it is it affordable housing piece? Is it the transit piece? Is it building more units? Uh, is it developing outside of downtown? So it's just where, where have you decided to make, like stick your finger in the pie first? Is it the affordable housing piece or? I agree.
1: Eventually you need to prioritize things. I use a similar analogy and I'm looking at your small mixing. This is a nice mixing board, but I'm looking at the small mixing board. But you see those huge mixing boards that they use when, you know, in a recording studio. They don't just take one of those dials and push it up. It's this continually massaging it to get everything to sound and run just, just right. And I think we do ourselves a disservice if we focus on any one piece. It's finding this delicate balance of all these priorities. But I do feel that the affordable housing situation has been having negative impacts on our community for a long time, but now is having acute negative impacts on on our community where we're losing people from the community. We're having a challenge. A lot of businesses are having a challenge um, attracting and retaining uh, staff. And it's a problem across the board where we're even seeing it in our medical professions and our, it's a challenge. So that does start to boil to the, uh, raise to the surface a, a lot for me. You know, I'm a renter myself. I've, or I've lived in four different places since uh, my time on council. Um, so this is something that I, I live daily. I now pay, I think, over three times as much as I did when I was elected and, and have about a third of the space. So, I understand this piece. And as a employer trying to attract and, and retain, retain staff over the last 16 years, I've always strived in my business to provide stable enough employment that my staff could buy a place that's, and you should be able to do that as a small business, right? So a few years ago I'd employed this uh, lovely couple for a few years and they came to me one day and said, Oh, you know, we just really want to let you know that we, um, that we're buying a place. And I was so excited because this was a piece that I wanted to accomplish, you know, in my business. And then the punchline was in Kimberly, right? It's real and it's really frustrating. So there's a lot of work we need to do there. But then childcare is affordable housing. It's connected because if we can't have people out in the workforce because they can't find childcare and they have to stay home when they can be a productive part of the workforce and then help affordability overall. So affordability is affordable housing, it's childcare, it's transit, price of fuel as we sit here. And what they hit? Just 250 or something crazy in the city? I haven't looked. I I had my blinders on a little bit when I went past the gas stations today, but- I think
0: that's why all three of us have our business in town. Yeah. We're not really commuting that far.
1: Oh, that's a great, thank you. That's a great segue. So I think it's also important that these developments are, if done correctly, are also providing additional employment space so that more people can work in town then that goes to having more time with family. It goes to climate initiatives. It also goes to affordability. Maybe you don't have to have that vehicle to drive to the city, whether it's a internal combustion or not. Maybe you don't have to have that extra vehicle in your, in your life uh, because you can walk or ride your bike to work or take our transit system. And if you do drive, it's a short drive and it'll be okay. As to if downtown's too much too soon, that's an interesting one. We have very few tools. Very few tools, if any, to control the timing of development. If someone brings something forward on a property that's zoned, in some cases we're uh, legislated to provide the permitting that's that's required. So I understand that the rate of change is fast. I've I've been living it as as well as everyone else has. And you know, there there have been points of time where nothing happened. And do you remember? Was it down the end of Main Street there? Aqua sat as a as just a concrete. Abandoned project for a period of time and these things are cyclical. It'll happen again at some other at some other point where It's not going to be uh, As good a economic environment to to develop and it'll slow. So these do these things do um, ebb and and flow over time and uh, I think it's important to make sure that we're getting the development that we want and if what we want happens fast That's pretty good. What my definition of what we want Is things that meet our policy because that is how a community expresses what they want is through their policies and whether it's OCP or zoning and so on down the line. CACs on that list as well. So if we're getting the development that we've we want and we've asked for as a as a community through those policies, then that's pretty good. I'd also like to say that I've lived in Brackendale for the majority of my life. Uh, I've lived in the estates a bit I lived in the North Yards, but I've been living downtown for the last year and a half. You know, I have two jobs, so I come to Brack. I still spend a lot of time in Brackendale with my my business, but when I'm doing my council work, I about a five minute walk from, from council. I can meet in one of the many cafes there. I can walk for groceries. It's great. And I love downtown Squamish. Is it perfect? No, but I think it's going in in the right direction and construction, you know, can be a challenge can be disruptive and you got to go around the block. You can't get through there. You know, it's it's loud. Doesn't look right. But when these things are um, occupied with the new tenants uh, or owners and uh, and the businesses, I think we're going to see a really strong, thriving downtown. And I think it's going to be a very important part of our of our community. But there will be growing pains along the way because things don't always develop in the order that you would like. So one part of a block will have a nice new sidewalk and a nice new building, and the other part will be in that older. That older state, and uh, over time, these things will start linking up and will make uh, more and more
2: sense. You spoke a little bit about planning, Armand. The OCP is the guiding document for the District of Squamish. And within the OCP, we have neighborhood planning, neighborhood nodes specifically. Do you think the District of Squamish has been doing a good enough job at planning and consultation with the constituents, with the residents of of these individual neighborhoods, given you've you've lived all over Squamish? And what do you think we could do better in creating and enacting on the plans once they're built? Okay.
1: I'll touch on the nodes. First general concept of neighborhood nodes is is amazing and growing up in Brackendale uh, kind of had 2 they're not even that big but I enjoyed being able to go to the to the post office the corner store uh, to restaurants the snack shack you know back in the day. And that's the Brackendale General Store area for those that don't know. And then further south, almost exactly a kilometer, at what would have been J and B Grocery, or better known as Republic Bicycles now, by the gas station, the Bean Around the World, and a restaurant. I think it's one of the things that gave Brackendale the community feel that it that it has. So I was proud to grow up in Brackendale. I'm proud of Brackendale. But I also had this mechanism to meet my neighbors and to have some of my needs met. I could go get some milk if I forgot it. You know, those things. So I think it's really important for a number of reasons to have some services in each neighborhood and some community spaces. Sometimes cafes are community spaces. That's okay too. I think neighborhood level planning is incredibly important. I think it's important to frame what the other options are. So not doing a neighborhood plan for an area means that every time a development comes forward and we have development pressures, people are coming to us looking to develop property that they own whoever they are whether they're a private citizen or a numbered company and a developer it's all it's development right any changing so we see those pressures and without having a planning document a more detailed planning document around each neighborhood the neighborhood would need to engage heavily in each of those developments which really could be a full-time job so i really feel that to get the best outcomes we need to do these neighborhood planning we've seen in vancouver where they've actually done across their whole area, they've brought in some policy around densification without the neighborhood context. So I'd like to avoid being put into a position like that by the province or, or otherwise, and really understand the neighborhood context so that when development occurs there, back to my what I was saying in the downtown context, that it's what we want. And it gives a clear vision to the neighborhood, whether they are looking to develop or not, what is going to happen there over the next period of time, say a decade or so. So I think that's really important. Now, how that process gets done, that's an area where each time one of these happens and we're on to Wilson Crescent as, a, as a, a small one and then there was the Loggers East, and now we're, we're in Garibaldi Estates, there's lessons to be had each time and to improve the process. Sometimes the process is in various things can be messy, but I think it should be measured by the outcome. So in the Garibaldi Estates, uh, which is the area that we're doing a, a neighborhood planning process for right now, when that process was announced, there was some speculation from the real estate community, or maybe it was one person looking to buy everything up because they were sensing opportunity but they were speculating and sometimes speculation pays off and sometimes it doesn't, but they went around and contacted people there looking to buy land because they they were speculating that there was going to be an opportunity there. And I think that just started things from a weird place where people assume that there's an outcome or there's an outcome that they weren't privy to really since then, it's been a bit of a challenge to engage, to engage there and so I think there's some lessons in this, but it's very important right now to continue with the process because the feedback has been cap has been captured. The community has done a great job of engaging with the process. We even added a period of time and a more intimate level uh, of engagement to the process to ensure we captured um, that feedback. So anyone that's been uh, involved in that process can see we- there's a stack. Someone brought it to a meeting, um, I was at physically and I've only read it as a PDF and it's a lot of pages as a PDF. But when it's printed off and it's a stack of paper on the table, that is feedback from the community that needs to be represented somehow in the upcoming plan. I've heard calls to stop or pause at this point. Where we are right now in the process, I think is important to understand before you talk about stopping or pausing the process. We're at the point where all of the input from the community has been collected and staff is figuring out what to do with that. And then they're going to bring forward some plans or some options. And if I look back to the um, Loggers East plan, it came back with some very high level options. What do you think about this kind of density or use here, here, here? And what percentage split? Talk about your pie. Like what percentage would you like to see in this neighborhood? And these kinds of high level concepts. And it gets more refined down into into a, a plan. So. I think it would be a disservice to everyone that's already participated in the process and and registered their their feedback to not move forward with the planning process. When you get to a point where there's decisions to be made, that's where you make decisions. Right now, staff is collecting information and putting it all together to give Mayor and Council a decision to make. So there is a decision point on these. It's not right now. And I think it's incredibly important that we
0: keep that feedback uh, alive and uh, and see it integrated into the the plan. So one of your biggest things obviously is balanced growth. We want everything balanced. We want everyone's uh, everyone in the community's voices to be heard. When we talk about balanced growth, we also want to talk about economic diversity because 60% of your budget is based on our property taxes when about the provincial average is around 48. I'm always going to hammer the tax thing. You know me. I don't, I don't want to be paying okay. more than I have to. And, you know, our taxes can't pay for everything because we do have a big wants list and we do have a needs list. And so how do we work on diversifying the economy? We, we can talk about LNG later, but I mean, what sectors should we be working on? Um, are you happy with the economic development? How has it been going? Um, how do we bring in more companies? What what opportunities can we have as Squamish to diversify that tax base?
1: This is a great, great question. Thank you. And you're right. It's very, it's very important. I think that um, we've got a lot of policy that um, is matching that says we should be creating more employment space as we, as we develop. So for instance, um, you know, sometimes you could look at having three single family home lots downtown converted into an apartment building and that's great. Um, houses more people on the same property on the same size. That's all good, but when it's a mixed use building, which is what we're seeing now, we're also adding employment space. We're also seeing um, employment, one hundred percent employment projects coming forward as well, which is which is great. So we need to create the spaces first of all. So from a land use perspective, it's important to make sure that we aren't baking into our community the need to commute. We talked about that a little bit earlier, and maybe people are commuting as they do this now. Hopefully, this isn't something that you need to do going forward because there will be opportunities in Squamish that way. Now, as these developments occur... I think the mixed-use development zone at the north end of the um, business park is a great example of this. There were some bigger properties there with one single-family home on, and now we're housing people there and providing employment opportunities in the same in the same space. And I think pieces like that need to be um, recognized for what for all those pieces that it's bringing to the community. So we need more employment space. We also need to protect the industrial land that we have, generally light industrial land. The importance of agricultural land was recognized. Uh, long time ago and we have the ALR I think about industrial land in the same almost in the same context if you look at as much as it feels like we're out in the the wilderness here in Squamish if you're moving or if you're doing it right uh, we're so close to the lower mainland um, that we are very affected by what's happening there and there is just a shortage of that that type of land so we need to protect that and make sure that it's used for those purposes and uh, continue to increase employment spaces. Now, our economic development team is excellent. And it's a bit interesting as a municipality because we can't assist business. We can sort of set the table for business to occur, but we can't assist a business. And that's a fine line that we need to be aware of as as you move through. And obviously, anyone working in the Working with this this knows that, but our economic development team has been doing a, a, an excellent job uh, with research and campaigns around our target sectors. So, which is really green economy, outdoor rec as areas where we can where we can grow. I also think we've got a lot of opportunity in the forestry sector. A lot of our green initiatives are around green building, and not just in the municipality, but um, in a more broad sense, are around. Reducing the amount of concrete in a building. So, a lot of, because that's embodied GHGs. So, uh, mass timber is what fills that void. And we have. A forestry resource here that if managed correctly and in the highest standards of of the day can actually provide a lot of employment locally for the construction, not just here, but in a a broader sense. So I think there's a lot of, of opportunity there, but we need to keep creating the spaces. And this is one of those challenges around densification earlier the province is making noises about taking away some of the levers that the municipality has around development to achieve the densification that they would like to see to support their investment around transit and these types of things. And I'm really concerned that if that happens and if then we start losing our ability to increase our employment spaces and to design our neighborhoods to include things like nodes and because housing by itself Inventory can help in a supply and demand way, but that does not fix the entirety of our problem here, and it just creates a different problem if that uh, happens without having employment space, without having a CAC policy that can extract the childcare spaces and the affordable housing spaces that we need. So uh, I'm glad we sort of got to that <laughs> we came back to somewhere where everything's you know interconnected, so you can't really lean on any one of these things to the maximum where it's not, not going to run correctly. Am I giving you the longest answers? I'm a, I'm a long form human. So I. Uh,
0: <laughs> well, It's because our two biggest sectors in Squamish right now is, is development and tourism to support those. We, we need obviously more beds for tourists. We have industry. We want a diverse industry. And the only way we can do that is by building. And we have to make sure our building is uh, accessible and affordable. But well, then we also need spaces for our tourists to come. This kind of leads back into the short-term rental question Hmm. and how to support more tourism and bring more tourism dollars to Squamish.
1: I'll start maybe in the broader sense around more tourism dollars to Squamish, uh, and then we can talk specifically about the short-term rentals if you want, because I think this kind of starts that bigger, that higher level of how do we get more more folks here or how do we uh, increase their experience so that they spend more while they're here? Um, Because we don't necessarily need a larger volume but we could do with some efficiencies in that volume so you're right overnight stays are sort of one of the main indicators with tourism sort of success we saw it when the uh, when the gondola came on online or people Squamish has always been a place that could consume a lifetime of adventure but it was hard to get people to to stop and investigate and and that went a long way of making making Squamish a, a destination I'm quite excited about um, The potential that the Squamish Canyon project brings as well as uh, to sort of further that ecotourism aspect. So these are increasing demand and increasing time that people may want to stay in our community. So now the overnight stays, a lot of people that come would like to camp, you know, and building hotels is Expensive. We can leave that to the to the Hiltons and the and whoever uh, of the world. That industry will run their own numbers and figure out when they think it's time to make to make an investment. But we know that a new fixed roof accommodation in Squamish is is going to come whenever those those folks feel that it's the right time. And we'll and the municipality, I'm sure, will do their part to manage where it is and how it happens and so on. But in general, would welcome that. So as that sort of percolates in the background we have a challenge around people um, camping. They want to come and they want to camp. Our campsites are full and we need help there. So there's been an ongoing uh, conversation with with the province around increasing their spend uh, in and around Squamish to add more campsites, whether it's through the park system or through rec sites and trails. And also sort of that concept of efficiency. I think that um, Cat Lake would really benefit from some higher level of management. We've lost it for many months in the last two years from our, our inventory of places you can stay overnight. And I really think that there's a lot of room for improvement there. And I think we're making some headway on that, on that topic to get some more investment um, from the province around uh, campsites. And really some folks are in their vehicles their adventure mobiles and don't need a lot of amenities necessarily. So a low amenity, campsite close to town or close to uh, one of our various uh, recreation areas because when people come here they're quite often coming to do some form of, of adventure and they'd like to be close to where that adventure happens so the climbers would like to be close to the granite the wind sports folks would like to be close to the spit and the mountain bikers would like to be close to the mountain bike trails and in some of those instances particularly with the Malcolm Forest Service Road and with the estuary these things happen in, in places where, where it's problematic from an environmental uh, standpoint, a thousand people can't practice no trace camping in the same place. Like it just that doesn't happen. And so we do need some investment in a larger scale, very low amenity, even a gravel parking lot with some outhouses then. but that does take land and operational funds and, and so on. So something that I've been looking for, We've been in discussions with the province around this exact uh, topic, and I think we're, we're getting somewhere. But when I look at this, back to the everything being connected piece, in Mission, they were in a similar place to where we are right now with kind of being overrun with uncontrolled camping. They had an added thing where there was a lot of mud bogging and 4 by 4s in riparian areas at Stave Lake and all these things. And interestingly, they used their community forest as uh, a funding mechanism to put in low amenity campsites and to manage them and bring back control into the area, and uh, I went for a tour of of their area and their campsites and how it's all working and it's incredible. Our community forest, I think, could be a portion of the solution here as well, and that's a project that's uh, that's underway and I hope to be I hope we're issued a license on that shortly, but it's been in the works since. 1995 or something crazy like that, but I think we're getting close. So, so one is asking the asking the province for help, but there's a lot of people asking for lots of things from the province. The other is identifying a way where we don't need as much help. Maybe we need some crown land, and we can fund it through a different mechanism. I'm suggesting the community forest could be a prime candidate for this, and we can positively um, affect that maybe on a few different on a few different fronts. So, um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna shout pick- out to the Mission Community Forest look into it it's actually it's a really interesting project and i and i think we could do something similar here
0: well i'm, I'm going to push back a little bit on the hotel idea because uh, fryer was mentioning um that there was going to be a slow pitch tournament here but they can't do the slow pitch tournament because there's just not enough hotel rooms to have to have any sort of tournaments up here so yeah maybe sooner the better
1: well i think and to that point i've had people um pushing uh asking me rather aggressively why we don't have the uh our current camp facility at brendan park Um, used for overnight stays and it's there to support tournaments now is it enough no if it wasn't there it would be even worse so i think um they are also connected we have um in the brennan park future plans around the lands there is an expanded camp camping facility there that moves it away from the neighborhood as well puts it in a slightly more I, i feel more appropriate spot uh, and it's and it's larger, so hopefully that'll help. But absolutely, we need that fixed roof accommodation. We have planning staffs alive to this as well, and they did bring forward a proposal that had a, a hotel portion uh, to it, but the location wasn't right, and it, it it didn't it didn't quite quite fly. But there's been another one. There'll be a, a new um, smaller one down the end of Cleveland as well that that's working its way yeah the through the process. Hotel there. Yeah, the yeah. that that one. So you know, but those bigger moves to support things like big tournaments and. And I think we have opportunity to be some conference space here as well. Those pieces are, are substantially bigger and, um, and will require that mass scale of, of investment. And those folks would be in the process for that would be working with our economic development team, which has all the numbers on this. And then those companies running their numbers and whether that's going to be a profitable venture for them to, to make that investment. Mm-hmm.
0: So now you, you've mentioned lobbying the provincial government a couple of times, and you've mentioned also Burnham Park. And it's hard to do a lot of things in this community without lobbying the government, senior levels of government. So that includes transit and includes getting the amenities for, for Burnham Park and, and a lot of development. How do you feel if you guys have been successful in lobbying the provincial government? Or is there ways of doing more? How much of that has been either an obstacle or a benefit to you?
1: Oh, that's a good one. I think... Uh there's been lots of victories. It's hard to know how far you could have gone. I'll talk about the the investment from the federal government in uh, the $11.7 million grant through... For l- Brennan Park. Th- for yeah. Brennan Park, yeah, thank you. Um, that wasn't through lobbying. That was submitting a grant application, which is its own process. And we were successful in that process, and I'm proud of that. But they don't just write that check because you ask nicely. They write that check because you meet their requirements and you've got a project that is ready to go. So the amount of work that has to happen in advance of making that grant application is not insignificant. And they don't dish it out to an organization that isn't ready to move. I think it's a bit of a challenge where the funding opportunity sometimes quite often drives the timeline. So this funding came forward based on accessibility and, and climate action. So we packaged our plans that we had to fit inside that funding envelope and push forward because we need we have needs across the board. I think it's a quite a good first move because it builds sort of the solid backbone of the of the of the facility and it addresses the change room issue, which is those change rooms are way too small when I was way too small playing hockey and you know so it addresses um, many aspects of it, but it's not the end of it and it certainly doesn't signify that we've run up against the end of the work that we've done, but we're there and we're ready uh, when these opportunities present themselves. So um, now the lobbying the province for things is challenging, which is distinctly different in in my mind. And it is challenging because they try to take into account the entire province. Each community is its own little ecosystem and, and that's why there's local government or the province would just run everything. We have had victories there and we've had challenges. but it takes consistent effort and for things to line up sometimes even politically on the provincial level. So I don't know that that one is uh, is a challenge and sometimes you don't know why you're successful and sometimes you don't know why you're not successful because there's other things there's other things at play that we're not all all seeing. But I do find um, the province, uh, in general, has been quite uh, receptive to things that have been been brought brought forward. I think they see that when something comes from Squamish, it's well researched and well reasoned. Similar to the um, the grant applications, you can't just go into uh, a meeting or or write a letter, ask for something, and then have it show up in the mail. You know, two day delivery from Amazon or whatever. Uh, that's not how how it works. There needs to be a, a well-researched and framed problem and possible solution presented and then continued advocacy. And as every once in a while, they'll change how, they'll change minister, they'll change some organization and you kind of have to regroup and keep pushing forward. But for instance, MOTI, we can talk about the merge lane at Cleveland. I know that since the highway upgrade prior to 2010, so for over a decade, the municipality and all the mayors and councils throughout have been advocating to the province to fix that intersection. Now, <laughs> MOTI—I was so excited when they when they said that they're going to do it, and they and they—I um, saw the bid go out, and now we've had the debacle. That is a provincial debacle that affects us. But as an example of long-term lobbying, almost getting the result—we're so close to the result. It is. I think I might be five times as frustrated as everyone else that's frustrated by as they move, as they move through it. Yeah, I but don't, I don't these think people, things take, these things take time. Yeah, They take continued and consistent pressure.
0: I don't think people realize like the highway is not really municipality. That's the, you know,
1: it's not municipality no, at, all. at all. And yeah. within 400 meters of the highway needs MOTI approval. So if you look at Squamish, I could be wrong on the 400 meters, but it's a substantial distance that basically encompasses the entirety of Squamish needs MOTI approval as you go about to do things.
0: Now we're going to get to the rapid fire section of uh, of the interview, where we basically throw out an issue, and then you kind of give us uh, a shorter version. <laughs> I'll see what much, I mod shorter. Like, S-
1: settle in for podcast two, everybody. Yeah.
0: Well, yeah. the shorter version, like when you're up on it, getting a question from Doug, and then you have only like two minutes to reply.
1: No, I'll I'll do what I can. Let's go. Right, so
0: this is practice for you on the All debates. Right. Sounds ready? fun. Ready to go? Yep. Okay. So we talked about densification. Our rate of densification is a good rate, uh, too slow of a rate, or too fast of a rate.
1: Looking at the community as a whole, I think that it's happening fast, but I think about the right spot given the conditions that we have today and the tools that we have to affect that or not.
0: Parking downtown. Parkade, yes or no? Parking, big problem.
1: Yeah, parking downtown is an interesting one. The parkade, there's a parkade study. People can go read it. It's available on the district's website. Uh, The long and short of it was that it uh, the conclusion there is that it's extremely expensive in the millions and millions of dollars to facilitate some people parking their cars and that's unlikely to be directly in front of the business they want to attend. So I'm not a parkade fan uh, because I've read the report and I've looked at the numbers and I'm familiar with the other demands that we have in the community. Now, what's happening right now, uh, from a parking standpoint in the downtown core, uh, we're hearing from our business community and from the community as a whole that something there needs to needs to change. So the fastest to implement and the lowest cost is most likely pay parking to manage um, the demand and to manage movement. A lot of communities also lean on pay parking as a funding source. So I'm hearing in our community that we're having challenges with parking downtown and even in this interview, I've heard that we've got we have challenges with the budget. Of course, I know that as myself. Uh, so I think those two things combined, with that being something that needs to be explored, how it's rolled out or implemented or not, is actually uh, will be coming to council. I believe it's in December. So to New Marin Council, we'll be contemplating that. And I think that is the lowest cost slash maybe a profit center way to positively affect the parking availability in downtown. It will have some complexities, but that's my, uh, my short answer is um, that's what we can do in the, should be explored in the short
0: term. Timeline for a second entrance into downtown.
1: The, the need for an additional entrance to, down, to downtown has long been identified and will go across that Laurelwood to Pemberton crossing uh, right by the train tracks there. That project even has a portion of its funding through the uh, development cost charges and will happen. I believe it's just over the five-year horizon. However, funding opportunities through some infrastructure grant from the, the feds uh, might change that timeline, but that's where it goes and we've been positioning for that for a long time. There is some additional work that needs to happen around that entrance to downtown and truck routes and it's quite it's quite complex so popping a bridge in there right now wouldn't really fix the problem It's going to create uh, <laughs> a, big, a bigger issue so there's some further planning work that needs to happen and the funding needs to to line up but it's uh, it's happening but it, these things do take time
0: if the opportunity arose to densify the Garibaldi Estates are you for or against what's happening with the Garibaldi Estates
1: density is a measurement so I do like measuring things. So I want for or against measuring things. Now, increasing density or changing density of that area will have to be done will be done through that neighborhood planning process. So we need to really look at the outcome of that. And I do think that there are some opportunities there. There's no expectation in any of this, and there hasn't been that uh, it would be to a downtown level. But I do think that there's opportunities uh, within that study area to add some density. Yes.
0: Yes. Caribou and Squabish. Woo. We're still talking about that. I think you were. I'm
1: like- just looking at the, the clock here. We've been talking all sorts of things yes. inside our growth management boundary <laughs> and inside our community. So I'm not particularly interested in building a new town over on the mountain and having responsibility for that. So I think we have a lot of issues to look after inside our municipal boundaries and inside our growth management boundaries right, before we consider okay. anything further up the mountain.
0: North Crumpet Woods then.
1: North Crumpet, uh, North Crumpet's part of one of these neighborhood planning processes. I support that process to see uh, um, what type of development would be appropriate on those properties.
0: Okay, well then, Chima lands.
1: You know, a lot of our conversation here today and a lot of the conversations I've had in our community are about the rate of change we have in our community. We discussed about which controls we have and which controls we don't have. One of the strongest controls we have to pace development is the growth management boundary. So before we consider moving the growth management boundary, we really need to understand as a community what the pros and cons of doing so are. It's quite common for a proponent to present exclusively pros and it's our job to make sure that a project on balance gets gets presented. So I would be looking for ways to have a community discussion around this topic. But as I, mo- as I said, when I move around the community, I haven't had anyone come up to me and say, can you speed things up here? That's not what I'm hearing in our community. There's policies around when the growth management boundary should move. And again, proponents often look at the ones that they've achieved, but there's more work to do there as well. So to move that, timeline in a substantive way would require a, a massive community uh, discussion to, uh, to do so.
0: Well, I'll be the first then to tell you, I want, I want the, the road from Pia to connect to Dawat. I want that. Well, that's an I interesting want. one.
1: And yeah, and you know, that, uh, that's been presented as solving all the traffic problems, uh, challenges in the Highlands. Um, I think that would trigger needing a, might trigger needing a light on the highway and might lead to people coming from the north of town or whistler wanting to go i don't know mountain biking on quest now coming up dowood and pia and down perth so i don't not convinced that this solves traffic problems i do think it could be useful from a transit perspective but i think that a traffic study would shed better light on this because it's not a magic wand to just give an outlet uh for the people um in that area it's it's far more
0: uh no, I, complicated there, than that. I know it's a lot more complicated. I'm just thinking from a safety perspective on on what's happening on the boulevard at the school there, but totally different. We're we're moving away. We're rapid fire. Dang it, rapid fire.
1: <laughs> LNG, LNG. The LNG uh, facility at Wood Fiber, I think, doesn't align with any uh, policy at the municipality from a uh, a climate perspective. However, the municipality is not the go or no go decider on this um, on this topic. So. I'm not supportive of the project. Uh, if the project is forced upon us by the other orders of government, which um, have the decision, then I will do my very best to make sure that we're not, that the District of Squamish isn't on the list of subsidies for this, uh, for this project.
2: Brennan Park, pool, ice rink, yes or no? of course,
0: yes. Just-
1: well, yeah, so further expansion of Brennan Park. Yes, let's do that. And let's figure out how to do that together. The challenges are really looking at the entire community and figuring out what the highest priorities are and where there are funding opportunities. We've seen some success already with that grant I was talking about earlier, $11.7 million. But grants from other orders of government aren't the only funding opportunity. I think there could be some public-private partnerships in here. And all those things are being are being explored. And, you know, and without taking on our facilities in the way that this council has to build those first three buildings, and now we can get to Brendan Park, without having the um, political will to take that on and to take the lumps for that, we wouldn't be able to be positioned to be focusing on Brendan Park as we're set to be in the next phase. But we do also have facility needs at uh, Municipal Hall, our libraries over capacity, and all these things need to be taken on, on balance and um, so we can move the entire community
2: um, ahead. The District of Squamish and the Squamish Nation, as you know, do not currently have a intergovernmental accord. There's nothing that spells out specifically the roles and responsibilities uh, between both parties, uh, number one. Number two, there is no services agreement with any of their current reservation lands in the District of Squamish. Uh, what would you do to broach that? Considering reconciliation is is such a big topic these days, and rightfully so.
1: These are great questions. Thank you. The um the District of Squamish and the Squamish Nation, in my opinion, have one have a excellent working relationship. The documents that you've described in your in your question are all issues that the municipality and the nation know uh, need to be resolved, and it's in progress. The Squamish Nation uh, has has to deal with. large number of municipalities I think it's over 20 have been making progress on all these types of things in all these various municipalities so we've got a great working relationship Uh, these things will move will move forward um, when the timing works for for both parties so there's capacity challenges on, on both sides and there's also internal prioritization from from the nation and in some cases we're we're ready to move, to move forward and and we're waiting for when the timing is right with our with our partner to actually accomplish um, accomplish these things so it's important that we move forward together and i think in this conversation it's important to highlight um, the victories that we have had, uh, including the, I, I touched on a little bit earlier, the Community Forest, which is the first ever joint partnership between the Squamish Nation and the District of Squamish. And I'm proud to be uh, on that board and working with the nation on uh, managing our forestry operations in the front country and all the complexities of that together. And we've also had uh, been celebrated for the um, the diking project that will be forthcoming around the Uh, the Eagle Viewing Area um, and uh, the reserve lands there, and uh, recapturing some reserve lands from the river, essentially, to right a historical wrong as an act of uh, reconciliation through an infrastructure project, which I actually spoke with um, myself and Chris Lewis from The Nation, actually presented at a, a conference around the successes of this project and how it was realized so that other local governments could learn from that and, and implement such uh, thinking in, into their work as well. So um, there's a lot of work to do, and I don't think the work will rightly ever be, ever be done, but it's well underway, and uh, it's looking for those opportunities where, where victories can be had, and uh, then the other more administrative pieces will happen in, in due course when both parties are ready to, uh, to move them forward.
0: So this is the time of the podcast where you can make your spiel or cover something that we kind of missed and how people can get in touch with you.
1: If you'd like to know more about me or my platform or my campaign, uh, armandherford.com is the place to do that. Uh, there, If you go there and you like what you see or you have uh, like what you heard here, uh, we've got a, a portal to uh, contribute to the campaign. Uh, to do so, you'll need to answer three questions. Are you eligible to make this donation under Elections BC? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Are you a developer? There's an there's a explanation around there if you're not quite sure about that, how to answer that question. And also, are you on the board of a special interest group or are you an executive director? If you answer yes to either of those last two questions, it will politely decline your uh, contribution and you can support in, in other ways. Uh, and if you are successful, then it will post in real time to my website. So you can see directly, minute by minute, who's contributing to my campaign. And this is a level of transparency uh, that I hope to be able to bring to bring forward um, as as your mayor, and I wanted to. I uh, worked hard on this particular mechanism there, going into this ca- into this campaign to, in an effort to um, bring the level up of the disclosure level of of everybody up. So I think that uh, that part I, is is quite important, and uh, I'm quite pleased with how that's how that's working. Um, also. Sitting in the mayor's seat is a big responsibility. I've been not only working in the community and all the various endeavors that we touched on in this, I've been studying for this role for four years by going to every meeting, prepared, reading every document. It's a complex operation, and I have the experience to sit there and lead and do the job effectively. And I believe that puts me uniquely positioned amongst the three candidates that you have for your choice as mayor. So thank you for your vote on October 15th. And if you disagree with me or anything that's said here, go and vote. And if you agree with me, go and vote. I'd like to see the largest voter turnout that we've ever had here in the District of Squamish. Hopefully we get a chance to talk after October 15th. We'll see how the dust settles here.
0: For sure. Thank you very much, Armin, for joining us today and uh, answering our questions. And uh, good luck in the election.
1: Thank you so much, and thanks for doing this. I know it's a lot of work, and uh, and I really appreciate it, and I hope uh, I hope it gets to a lot of people. Thank you so much.
2: Good luck on the campaign trail, Armand. All right, thank you.
0: This is the Sea to Sky podcast. If you have a comment or story ideas, please check out our website at SeaToSkyPodcast.com or on Facebook and Twitter at SeaToSkyPodcast. Thank you for clicking us on.